poor. They're not typically places of celebration. Graveyards are a place of death. Now, Pastor Jason, you're probably thinking like, Jason, what? why are you talking about this? This is Easter. Easter's supposed to be hopeful and fun, and we all wear light colors like purple. How many of you got purple on? Because purple rules. It's not just because I'm wearing it. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. That's the last of the four Gospels. And I want to share a story with you that maybe you've heard before, and if you haven't, well, maybe this will be new. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Now, I want to stop there for a second. I promise we're not going to stop after every line. But this first one is just too important to miss. Check this out. When it says the first day of the week, we think of the first day of the week as what? Monday. But for Jews, the first day of the week is actually Sunday. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis... God created the heavens and earth over six days, and on the sixth day, he created man. Now, here's what this looks like. If the first day of the week is Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's the day of man. And which day did Jesus die? On the day in which man was created. Now, it also says that they were in the dark, and here's what's going on, is it's saying that it was still dark outside. What if that darkness isn't just referring to physical location of the sun, but of awareness? That their eyes had not yet been opened to what was going on. Now check this out. If we look at, if we understand what happened in the garden and why Jesus' death is so important and why it matters for us to Easter, see Adam and Eve were created to expand the borders of the garden. That's why they were there. God created them. The garden was a central location on earth, and their job was to expand the garden. They were in fellowship with God, perfect relationship with their creator and king, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, God told them they could eat from any tree in the garden but one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you might be familiar, they were tempted by the devil and who is the ultimate enemy of God and all of his creation, and what did they do? They ate. And in that moment of disobedience, you might be thinking, why did such an incredibly small thing have such a big price? Well, here's what happened. When they ate, when they disobeyed God, they were actually declaring, God, I want to be king, not you. I don't want your rules. I want my rules. And as a result, what that brought was destruction. What started off as beautiful and good was now defiled and broken. And a separation took place, and more importantly, a war became between us and God. And that war still continues, so what's the big deal? Well, disobedience, when I tell God I don't want him to be king, I want to be king, that's an act of war, an act of treason. All of this is important because here's the deal. Jesus died on the sixth day, which is the day that God created mankind. Adam and Eve fell. We fall with them. All of us have sin, right? Every single one of us has brokenness and sin in our lives. Jesus didn't come to fight in the war. He came to end it. And this is where the tomb comes into place. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.21. And through him to reconcile himself to all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, you have no 
empty tomb until you have a cross, a dying Savior. Once, this is from Paul, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus came to make peace through the laying down of his own life. Now, when it talks about that darkness, so many of us don't get the resurrection. And I want to tell you, I understand that. The resurrection is hard. It's not always easy to believe. Maybe you're struggling with the idea that someone could come back from the grave. Well, guess what? So did they. That's not a new thing. Now check this out. We're going to pick up where we left off. John chapter 1, verse 1. We just did A. Now we're going to read some more. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. Now, I want to stop there for a second. One of the things that I love about the Bible is how human it is. It's written by humans through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The person who it says the one Jesus loved is the one writing the book. It's kind of like a humble brag. Like, there's Peter, and then there's the one Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. And you're going to notice John kind of references himself a lot, always in the third person. You ever talk to somebody who talks in the third person? That's annoying. All right. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, which you can now put in but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, I want to stop there for a second. When it says that he saw and believed... It doesn't mean they believed in the resurrection. What they believed is that the body had been moved. They believed that indeed someone had stolen the body of their friend, their rabbi, their master. Now I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a brief moment. See, when the Bible writes, it doesn't just avoid the doubts. It doesn't dismiss the human side of things. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this internally for a second. How many of you struggle with believing that someone said the same thing and they said word for word the different thing? You would think they were lying, that they were in collusion. The fact that we have different eyewitnesses, testimonies, and events actually shows the veracity, the accuracy of it. Now, one of those scriptures, and I want to read from John, or Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 8 real quick, it says this. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why? Because her Savior already died. Not only now is he dead, but now his body's missing. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Again, how many of you have ever expected to see an angel? It's not very common. She doesn't know they're angels. One of them turns to her and says, Woman, why are you crying? The biggest duh statement of all time. Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. Why didn't she realize it was Jesus? Because Jesus was dead. 
She's not expecting to see Jesus. It's kind of like the Superman syndrome, right? You put glasses on him. Well, he's obviously not Superman. He's got glasses, and Superman sees perfectly. She's not expecting this. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, this must have sounded really odd. Well, yeah, this is a graveyard. This is where dead people are. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day to be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They didn't remember his words before because they weren't expecting him to die or to rise again. But listen to a couple of these words. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John 10.10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But there's one verse that I want to draw specific attention to that fits, that really is our focus for this morning. It's found in John chapter 12. This is as Jesus is getting ready to come in to Jerusalem in Holy Week. The hour has come, this is Jesus, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, growing up in Southern California, I didn't grow up around farm country. The closest thing I had was farm was Pepperidge Farm. I don't get germination. I, some of you farmers out there are like, yeah, germination. I don't understand it. I'm realizing it. I got to tell you, and combines are like straight out of Harry Potter. Like, they're magic. I don't understand how something goes in and another thing. It's crazy. Straight up voodoo. Jesus is getting to something much more thoughtful, surrender. See, the seed has to choose to remove itself from the source in order to bring new life. It sacrifices itself from the source so that new life can spring from it. Jesus left the source first and foremost when he became man. He now could die like everyone else. But then he experienced death like all of us. But why did he experience it? Listen to what Romans 5, 6 through 11, or 6 through 8 says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when you were God's enemy, Christ died died for you. He laid his life down for you. Jesus died so that you and I could live. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And now here's where their world and all of history got turned upside down. See, Jesus didn't just come to conquer sin on the cross. He came to conquer death. Can I get an amen? Man, y'all are Lutheran. Can I get an amen? There we, there we go. Now we're waking up. He came to conquer death and everything associated with it. This is why we celebrate Easter. 
You don't have an empty tomb until you have a dead Savior. See, Jesus conquered death because it was impossible for the power and agony of death to keep a hold on Jesus. Jesus and death had a staring contest and death blinked. This is the resurrection. Now listen to the rest of what this happens in John 20, verse 15. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him there. She thought Jesus was the gardener at the graveyard. Now Jesus is the gardener, but not the one she was expecting. She said, Mary, all of a sudden, as soon as he said, Mary, her eyes were open. She went, Rabbi, do not hold on to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father, Jesus says. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus came to bring life. And Paul reminds us that when we put our faith in him, we are united in his death and in his resurrection. When you put your hope in Jesus, a death does take place. It's a death to the old you, to the sinful part of you. When the resurrection takes place, it means there is new life for you. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In Jesus, you are new. See, when things die, they become fertilizer. The old you, your old sinfulness, your old brokenness actually becomes fertilizer. Check that out. Isn't that cool? All of your sin and shame, when it gets left on the cross, it's brought into the tomb. And there, from the old you, death takes place and now new life begins. A new you is born through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Now, here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, today is the time. New life can start here. Remember, Jesus, uh, Mary thought Jesus was a gardener. He's not just a gardener. He's the gardener. He brings beauty from ashes. He turns mourning to dancing. He turns death into life, and he turns graves into gardens. That's our Savior. Someone this morning needs to hear this. Maybe you have pride that needs to die on the cross. And you know what? When pride becomes fertilizer, you know what resurrects from it? What becomes new life? Humility. Some of you here have had affairs. And in your brokenness, you carry that shame. Leave it on the cross. Bury it. And you know what can come out from that? God can restore and redeem even the most broken of relationships. But first, got to let it die. You got to let the old stuff die, not the marriage, the sin. For some of you, it's an addiction, addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be. Leave it on the cross, let it there, bury it in the ground and let God bring something new. Let him become your source that you can become a fragrance of new life from the garden that springs in your life through the power of the resurrection. That's what we need this morning. God turns graves into gardens, but Satan wants to drag you back to the tomb, to the place of death. And you get to tell Satan, hell no. Because that's where Satan belongs. That's where lies belong. Today I want to invite you to resurrection. I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus. And there's three simple things you can do. First, admit. Admit you are a sinner in need of a Savior to give you eternal life. You need God to breathe life into you and to redefine you. Second, B, believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead. And by faith, your old life died with him. And now you are new in him. And lastly, C, confess Jesus as the King and Lord of your life. If you haven't done that this morning, I want to invite you to do that today. We have a God who turns graves into the gardens. Would you stand with us?
This morning, as we're preparing to end, I want to remind you the world needs the church. The world needs Easter. The world needs you and I to be the hope of the world because our hope is in Jesus. Amen? We need to look, the church needs to look, look less like a graveyard and more like a garden. The old order of things, war, oppression, hatred, bigotry, racism, all that stuff, that all needs to die. It needs to be put to death. We need something new. What the world needs is a Savior, just like you and I do. Church, we're going to give you a gift on the way out, and it's paper made out of seeds. And here's what we want you to do. When you get it, take it. Write down what in your life needs to be left on the cross and bury it. Now, here's the cool thing. This seed paper actually grows into flowers. Take that paper, write whatever sin and shame you need to leave on the cross, bury it in the ground, and watch new life arise. Amen? God wants to do something new this Easter, and it starts with us. We have a God who turns graves into gardens.